Hello there, Vitamizers. Welcome back to the How Do You Health podcast. As always, I'm Allison here in beautiful, sunny Austin, Texas, with your co-hosts, Nurse Doza and Baldo at Tex-Mex Yogi. It is lovely here this week for Christmas. I hope you guys are enjoying some lovely weather wherever you are, whether that means sunny like Arizona or (laughs) snowy like up north. I hope you are enjoying it with people you love and doing things that relax you and rejuvenate you and all those good things. Yes, this is our Christmas episode and we're super excited to bring it to you. But before I introduce our guest, the How Do You Health podcast is brought to you by Slenderella. Slenderella is a vitamin shot and IV blend that was designed to help your liver function optimally. It got its name when the creators started noticing that liver detox was causing many clients to lose weight. Now there is a whole line of different Slenderella blends that you can customize for your needs, as well as a supplement line to support all of your Slenderella goals. You can find distributors and more information at www.slenderellausa.com. This podcast is recorded at MSW Lounge. MSW Lounge is located in Westlake Hills in Austin, Texas. They provide a variety of services, including vitamin shots and IVs, the whole Slenderella family, concierge medicine, chiropractic, massage therapy, a vitamin drink bar, and tons of other local company offerings for ways to clean up your health and naturally stay that way for a long time. Find out more at www.mswlounge.com. This podcast is sponsored by Athletic Outcomes. Athletic Outcomes is Austin's boutique wellness studio focusing on functional fitness and sports recovery. Located in Southeast Austin, AO provides services such as personal training, group classes, pre and postnatal training, nutrition coaching, massage therapy, chiropractic, recovery compression boots, and MSW lounge vitamin shots. It's your one-stop shop for health and fitness. Check them out on social media at Athletic Outcomes to stay up to date on their events and programs. This podcast is produced by Flabs to Fitness, Inc. Flabs to Fitness is an online wellness company that specializes in mindful eating, personalized workout programs, and offers a subscription workout program for 20-minute workouts you can do anywhere. It's also a social media content firm for creation and scheduling of content and engagement with your fans on a variety of platforms, including this podcast. Find out more at www.flabstofitness.com. Today's How Do You Health podcast guest is yet another person that we met through Paleo FX, and she's wonderful. Her name is Lynn Marie Morsky, and she is the host of the Quit Happens podcast. And we actually had uh, Nurse Doza and um, Tex Mex Yogi Baldo on uh, her show a few months ago and it was a great conversation and we finally followed up and were able to get her on our show and a lot has changed in her life between those two episodes and throughout this year and she's got a lot of cool lessons to teach us so I think you guys are really going to like this she talks about quitting things because she has figured out she is a chronic quitter and she's flipped that narrative she's turned that into a good thing and she will explain to you why as well as how it pertains to health and all those other things, but I feel like I'm rambling now. She's the one who can explain it best. Here is Lynn Marie Morsky on the How Do You Health podcast. Welcome to the How Do You Health podcast. Uh, we are here with Lynn Marie Morsky, and we're going to be talking about quitting by design. Yeah. And we're also going to be talking about plant medicine. Um, I know that you're here for, or you were here because of the MAPS conference, and uh, we're excited to talk about that because we didn't get to go to that. 
Um, and then uh, we also have Nurse Doza here. We're going to talk about vitamins. We're going to talk about health. We're going to talk about all the good things, health. So, And I'm Tex Banks Yogi, so let's get the party started. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely have FOMO right now because I didn't yeah. get to go to MAPS, and you did. But I did. I, this is a twice I've seen you now in the past week since you've been here, but you've done a lot. So you went to the Halloween party. I did. All right, so we saw you for Halloween here. And then you hung out at MAPS all weekend. And for people who don't know, MAPS, I don't know the actual thing, but I'm saying it's like multidisciplinary. Association of Psychedelic Studies. There we go. And so the influence that they're having on the psychedelic movement, it's they've been around for like, what, 30 years at least, right? 33. Yeah, 33 years. But yet they're pushing psychedelics to be part of the forefront for medical research, right? They're pushing psychedelic, not pushing, they are actively investigating the benefits of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Gotcha. And so they're treating people with PTSD and anxiety and depression, a lot of those things, with psychedelics. Yes. Right. And so for people who don't necessarily follow this, this is kind of a newer thing for the past couple of years, but psychedelics have been around since the 60s and 70s with people doing research then. It's just having a movement coming back again. Why do you think psychedelics are being pushed to the forefront again when it comes to mental wellness issues? And do you know any of the history of why it stopped being a thing at some point? Yes. um, By the way, for everybody listening, I don't usually sound like this. This is just Austin (laughs) allergy. Yes, it gets everyone. It gets everyone. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, she's not from Austin, so please forgive her. (laughs) Please forgive me. Um, Yeah. So... Psychedelic research was actually, you know, especially like LSD had started back in the 50s and 60s when it was still legal. Yeah. Because a lot of these substances were not criminalized or made illegal um, at that point until like the Nixon administration. And MDMA wasn't made illegal until the 80s. And so there was, we were able to do more research back in the day. Um, but then that's why a lot of it, like you asked, falls well, why did it go away? Well, it's really hard to research things that are impossible to get. You know, if it's illegal, it, you have, there's a million hoops you have to jump through to be able to research. For example, still cannabis, which is legal in, you know, many places, many places you can only do research on cannabis from the University of Mississippi. Like, there's only one supplier. So, like, th- it's, you know, it's really difficult to do research when it's not available. Yep. And um, I'm not 100% sure of why there was this specific renaissance, but I do know that the increasing mental health crisis has led people to look for alternative things. And I, I'm, my guess is that somewhere in there, of people realizing antidepressants are not working, suicide rates are climbing, and people who have experience doing psychedelics realizing that, wow, I've, I've experienced transformation through this. I mean, I know anecdotal stories of people who didn't go to psychedelics to quote-unquote treat anything, but, for example, I know one who was an alcoholic. She does a psilocybin journey. Suddenly, she doesn't want alcohol at all anymore. And, and my guess is that more and more people were having experiences like that where they're like, we have to investigate this in a more scientific manner, and we've got to bring these medicines back. Not maybe just, you know, I don't know that the intention was to just make it freely legal like it was ahead of time, but even if it takes a medical model, they're like, we got to bring these back in some way to be able to bring help to the people who need it. Yeah, and I, I want to preface this, that the plant medicines, because that's kind of what you're going into, um, they've, they're from nature, right? I mean, a lot of these things, yeah, they're concocted in, in an, a lab, but they're trying to get similar results, which today's medicines have been trying to get as well, right? And I think... Today's medicines, there's a bunch of side effects that come with each one of them, right? Psychedelics, like, I mean, I know there's a stigma behind all of it, but 
they're not really deadly, right? I mean, they're not going to die off of, like, taking a bunch of mushrooms unless you do something stupid while you're on it, right? But that could be anything, right? Right. I mean, the saying is the dose makes the poison. It, yeah. You know, I mean, too much water could kill you. Yeah. So it, it would take – I mean, I think that there is no known legal do- lethal dose of cannabis, for example. No. Um, Ibogaine – I mean, so, you know – psychedelics it's a big category and there's the plant-based ones and then there's the molecular ones and then there are some that are toad based or frog based um, coming from different places you know ibogaine it's a little trickier because it, it can have some effects on your heart and the other ones may raise your blood pressure a little or may, may raise your temperature a little bit but at safe doses correct they're not and, and there's no I don't want to say no but the the most of these are definitely not addictive for example ibogaine's a great example it's such a tough uh, medicine to take. I mean, you're 12, 10 to 12 hours of just, as somebody described yesterday at the conference, just in hell going through your demons and sorting them out. Nobody's like, ooh, I need to do Ibogaine again tomorrow. Like, it's they don't have addictive properties, and a lot of them, if you take too much, you may just vomit it back up because, sure. you know, it's, it's a plant and it's it's a, if it gets to a toxic level, your body just takes care of it. But the the addictive potential with these is so low, and like you said, there most of them don't have a, a lethal dose per se. So there is a definite safety here uh, and minimal side effects. And a lot of the side effects are, we can call them side effects in quotes, but they still have like a healing potential to them. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is, they've been involved in cultural ceremonies and traditions for hundreds, if not thousands of years. They were here on earth before we were. Like you talk about San Pedro, right? And, and you talk about plants that come from regional plants, especially in Mexico. And people used them for healing purposes. They weren't saying, hey, take this weird psychedelic and go to this grave at 10 at night. They were saying, like... <laughs> Look at all the pretty lights. Yeah, it's, that, that's <laughs> not the case. It's more like, <laughs> hey, you've been you've been hurting from this illness that you're not over. Something traumatic happened. Maybe this will help address those demons, face them head on. Because I think a lot of times with medicines, and you'll speak from this too, um, medicines kind of suppress things for certain extents like they don't necessarily they manage things right they don't necessarily like you're going to take this and all of a sudden it's going to eradicate this there's a handful like antibiotics do that right Right. but like you talk about the antipsychotics there's weird side effects with them right because if you look like SSRIs like serotonin uh, uh, boosters what they are is they're not really boosters they help you absorb more right so like Prozac and uh, Zoloft they help you absorb more of the serotonin that you're producing but if you don't produce a lot to begin with then what's the point of taking something that's not boosting it all the time right if you're low in serotonin people think you're depressed all the time right but serotonin is related to like pain appetite as well so when you talk about psychedelics they're trying to target those same things by helping your body produce more on its own and when you produce more on its own how do you function you might function differently optimizing function is kind of what they're going towards right Uh, well definitely optimizing function regardless and many of the plants work in different ways they may work directly on the serotonin so it's not necessarily that it's causing you to make more but it's functioning on it and it may give you a flood of serotonin that helps you have some kind of for a lot of these um, ketamine's a good example and it's not a plant but it's it's got definite anti-depression and anti-suicidality qualities because what happens is if you get that rush of serotonin or or glutamate or different neurotransmitters ketamine doesn't necessarily work on serotonin but what it does is it can put you in a temporary state of bliss and for somebody who's extremely depressed or suicidal and they haven't had anything resembling bliss in their life for a long time they may think what why should i go on 
there's no bliss in life and then you get this glimpse of what could be then it can bring you out long enough to realize hey maybe I can like today I get out of bed today I get dressed and I and I try and I try to start doing some of those things that can help end that depressive cycle and that's what's important about a lot of these is is they at least for a period of time put you in a, an altered state where you can feel bliss or maybe like Ibogaine it's not blissful but you are working through demons and you're able to see things ayahuasca is sometimes blissful sometimes really difficult but even the really challenging experiences are probably going to lead to some healing for example a friend of mine he went in an ayahuasca experience and the entire time he was his wife experiencing what it was like to receive treatment from him and he could never in life without of that had put himself in the place of his wife and he didn't realize how his actions were hurting her and he got out and he he called her and he said is this what it's like when i treat you this way and she's like it's exactly what it's like so their entire relationship was able to change and it saved their marriage essentially yeah and so it's those kinds of things that are that are that you can get through psychedelics that your average antidepressant is not necessarily going to be able yeah. to do that ever that's a breakthrough yeah. right i mean because it's incredible yeah. yeah because if you think about it we're always on the road to self-improvement. At least you should be, right? I mean, that's how I view everyday life with me. I mean, you face one day at a time, but then it's like, can I make myself a little bit better today than I was yesterday? And it could be like you read a book. You know, you did a crossword puzzle. Maybe you played guitar or something, right? Um, but self-improvement mentally, that's a game. And it's a game you have to play yourself. Balder here, being my best friend, has helped me along that, you know, to realize what I can do for my depression, how to address it in a more natural way. We have vitamins for it because we understand biochemically vitamins help produce serotonin and dopamine. So if you have a deficiency in one of them, that could explain why you don't produce enough, right? But once you get that, I love you say bliss because, you know, we have Slenderella Bliss, which is our natural serotonin and dopamine producer. Um, that has been a game changer for people because people would literally come back and say that changed my life and i was like well we'll come back and explain what did it do right i noticed this and it wasn't like my mood was great it was like my mood was great and i was able to get stuff done i was there to cook dinner for my husband or wife i was able to be present for something that was very important to me and i'm normally not there i check out right so when someone says something like that for anything they take I always got to look at the risks and benefits. That's amazing. Tell me about the downfalls. The downfalls were it didn't last the whole, you know, but a week. So I had to take another one again. You talk about risk and benefits with medicine, as you know, um, do more benefit than harm, right? So like ayahuasca, for example, yes, you might purge and go through some convulsions for like a few minutes, but you get out and people say, I'm a changed person. I had this experience where I realized these wonderful things and negative things about myself, and now my whole life has changed. And we were here in a mastermind setting uh, a couple weeks ago. I told you we were doing that with Christina Wise. And um, there was probably like, I don't know, seven people in here out of the 18 people that were here that raised their hands when I asked how many people have tried ayahuasca here. Because we were on the subject. It wasn't like I randomly said it, right? But we were talking about it, and this one guy, you know, seven people raised. Seven adults willingly said, I have tried psychedelics and one guy says I've done it nine times and he says every time I've done it it's something new it's something wonderful I've never heard that about I mean how many times do you hear that about a treatment you hear that about chiropractic acupuncture right IVs you know cryo it's like I felt amazing afterwards you felt amazing after this plant medicine that basically altered your state and helped you do what it helped me realize who I am and what I'm lacking or something like that yeah. right 
Yeah. That's cool. There's a different lesson every time. That's yeah. Exa- that's exactly true. And I, I distinctly remember comically, I had gone through this psilocybin guided journey and it showed me every last piece of my life and where it fit in and how even the like absolute lowest points served this greater good. And it took me from being able to forgive when bad things happen straight to gratitude. Like, I'm not going to forgive you. You didn't do a bad thing. I should be grateful for the role you played in my growth. And I remember after that, shortly after, maybe just like a couple of weeks or so, somebody offered me a, a plant medicine retreat. And I mistakenly thought it was a different medicine, but it turned out that it was ayahuasca. And I remember thinking very naively, I, I just learned my whole life in the psilocybin journey. Like, what's left to learn? Oh, that was so funny. Like, of course, there was more to learn. There was an entire different set of things. You know, in fact, I went to that ayahuasca journey saying, like, show me what I want in my person, like in a life partner. Help me with that. Because there's, especially if you set an intention, you may or may not get that intention, but you're going to get what you need. Sometimes you can, like I said, you set the intention and maybe that's part of the journey. But, you know, in none of my other journeys had I explored that question. But every time you go into a journey, you have a new chance to ask the plants something or receive something that the plants think you need. Yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> it's it seems so woo-woo, but then if you think about it, it's like shamans are medicine men that used to do this way back in the day before there was the traditional doctor nowadays in the lab coat and you know, walks around with the stethoscope and says, here's, this is what, you know, will fix your ailments, you know? And it's like, well, it really doesn't because in, and we've had this talk many a times, the healthcare system that we have in place now continues to allow people to be sick. It doesn't enable them the resources in order to change their lives for the better. And you can blame it on patients and their lack of compliance. Doctors will tell you, oh, well, it's because everyone doesn't eat better and they don't exercise and they're lazy and they're not, they don't understand. It's like, no, they understand. They're, once they're given options, people make the decision for themselves. So imagine you have a little old lady that says, I know you've been dealing with a bunch of stuff with your depression and all. Do you want to go this route where it's full of medicines that could possibly have these side effects that are negative? Or could you do a couple of these plant medicines, these treatments and therapies that might change your whole view on life? And it might do it for the better. You might realize things you've never realized before. And you might not have to take medicines after this. Like, how would you like that? I mean, this person is not going to choose one or the other based off the idea of lack of information. It's going to be like, what are they doing because they were told by this doctor? This doctor says, you need medicine, this kind of medicine. And then you have these other people who are not doctors saying, like, no, do plant medicine. It's been around forever. And people will go out of their way to go find alternative sources, as you will, right? Natural remedies. I hate the alternative term, right? But that's what we know. And ayahuasca has fastly become the new CBD, right? CBD and marijuana was like, oh, that's so mainstream. My grandma uses CBD all the time. It's like, but what about ayahuasca? And so can you tell us a little about what ayahuasca is? We talked about it again. Can, can you tell us what it is? Sure. And, and let me step back a minute. So what you just mentioned about informing the people and what the doctors tell the people. That's why I'm a physician and I saw that my colleagues didn't even know that these were options and we cannot fall. Here's the thing, and I'm just going to put this out there, making it an us versus them, you know, plant-based or plant-based, no, (laughs) plant medicine people versus traditional medicine is not helping. They're vilifying, you know, one side versus the other. We need to work together because doctors, we were never taught about 
we weren't taught about CBD in medical school. We were talking about none of these things because there wasn't research behind it because it was illegal. Yep. Right? That's all there is to it. And so if your average doctor knows and they feel as though it's a safe option and that's what you know these MAPS phase three trials and the psilocybin phase three trials are gonna help do is, is show scientific proof that these things are safe and effective more so than your average medicines. Once that's presented to doctors, they will feel comfortable. The, the healthcare or sick care system in this yeah. country is very much um, subject to a lot of litigation and doctors do not want to do something that's going to get them sued. Yep. And so once something is, is scientifically proven, they will feel safe enough themselves to share it with their patients. And so that's why I started the Plant Medicine Podcast to in my goal, my target audience is medical professionals and interested patients so that those patients, it may be that little old lady, it may be the doctor treating that little old lady, but they'll have the research yep. to make that recommendation yep. and not just say, here's your Prozac. Yep. Um, ayahuasca, it's a, it's a tea made it to the Amazon, and it's made with two different parts. One is um, the, like the DMT source itself, and one is another plant that has an MAO inhibitor that allows the DMT to, to do its work and uh, lead to that psychedelic experience. And very often people purge with it. It's a little tough on the GI system, but the purging is part of it. Like you are probably purging something out when you do that. And the purge can be, it can be um, vomiting. It can be other, you know, it could be crying. It could be sweating. There's many different ways to purge. Uh, as a person who never vomits generally, that was a little bit of a turnoff to me. I was like, I don't want to do this thing where I'm going to vomit. However, when it happened, I distinctly recall I was purging judgment because I'm in a room of like 22 people the first time I did it. And as I'm purging, the feeling coming over me was like, obviously most people don't wanna be purging in front of other people, right? They are gonna fear judgment. And sure. it was such a, like a symbolic thing to be, everybody in this room is purging in front of everybody else. Let go of the judgment and the fear of being judged. And so the purge has a role. I mean, the last time I did ayahuasca, I didn't purge. And in fact, because I didn't purge, I was really sick to my stomach the whole time. However, the pain I was in, in my stomach, led to a bunch of other realizations. Like, oh, I'm in stomach pain, I really wanna lay down. They had told us not to lay down because it would you know, kind of impair the energy in the room and it realized, it made me realize, wow, as a doctor, I've been sacrificing my own well-being for everybody else's energy for a lot of years. This time I get to lay down. Like, I realized that, th that at some point I have to put myself over the people I, you know, like the collective energy, because if I don't, then I'm never gonna be able to keep healing other people. And so that was a lesson I got from not purging. So like every part of the ayahuasca journey, if you're paying attention, can, can give you some kind of lesson. Yeah, being present in what your body's telling you, right? That's incredible. Most people don't ever even understand what it's like to have that feeling of indigestion after a, a meal. How did that meal make you feel? Did it make you feel bloated? Because it's funny, we'll ask people about digestion. We're like. So how often do you go to the bathroom? Did you go after this meal or whatever? And like, yeah, it was fine. Okay, cool. Did you have any gas? Did you have any heartburn? Well, yeah, I get that all the time. It's like, okay, well, that's that's a sign <laughs> that it's not agreeing with you, so quit eating it, right? But it, it's not that simple. But let me ask you this. So we we first met you when you started the Quitting by Design podcast. It all right. Happens. Yeah, quit happens. And uh, now you're doing plant medicine. Okay, and I've seen the transition in the past year, and you know, talking with you before, I knew it was happening. Um, let me ask you: the plant medicine did it have any influence on your quit from medicine? Oh yes, actually. Um, and so, just so everybody knows, I still run both podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, 
while I met you, when I met you guys, it was at Paleo Effects in, in April. Yep. And yep. I was still practicing medicine for the VA. Yep. And I had been doing that for nine years, and I had been out of alignment for that entire nine years because I knew I didn't want to be practicing medicine on a one-on-one basis. However, you know, I have a quarter million in loans. I had to do something to pay the bills. So I, you know, went to the VA, started working 10 hours a week at the VA, and it was paying the bills. And then I went to law school, hoping that would get me out of medicine. It didn't. I did a few other things, and then I started, uh, I wrote Quitting by Design, the book, and then I started the Quit Happens podcast, hoping that somewhere in there, I would be able to make enough money to get out of medicine, and it wasn't happening, and it definitely wasn't happening fast enough, and I was getting more and more frustrated, and a a big part of that frustration was that I couldn't talk about plant medicine because I was an employee of the VA. I'm a Department of Defense employee. We cannot talk about things that are illegal, and so I'd be on other people's podcasts. I'd be interviewed for my book. And they're like, is there anything we can't talk about? And I would say, ayahuasca. You can't ask me about my life-changing ayahuasca experiences. And it was so frustrating. And I would see patients coming into the VA, and they would tell me, like, off the record, the only thing that helps me is cannabis. But I can't put it in the record because, you know, then they were afraid of losing their benefits, et cetera. So it was just a really frustrating time. And uh, what happened right actually before I went to PaleoFX is that somebody gave me a microdose of psilocybin. And I'd never microdosed anything before, and I took it, and I was visiting Lake Tahoe, visiting a friend, and so we took it, and then we went snowshoeing. I felt nothing. We came back, and I said, I never felt anything from that psilocybin. So we take some more, and then I went rock climbing, and I come back, and I said, I still never felt anything. And he said, you know, for me, it generally kicks in 48 hours later. I was like, that's weird. Like, I've never heard that from anybody else, and that doesn't make any metabolic sense, but, you know, noted it in the back of my head came back from Tahoe, went to work on Monday, went to work on Tuesday. Something happened on Tuesday where it seemed like they were, you know, I got this critique from one of my supervisors and it was out of the blue and it seemed like they were targeting me to fire me. I was like, I've been there nine years, you know, but like the thought of like losing this kind of golden handcuffs job, paying the bills, but completely out of alignment. I started crying and I didn't stop crying for 12 hours. Like I, I stopped enough to like see my last patient. Then I came home still crying and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, one email shouldn't make me cry for 12 hours and it's two in the morning and I'm talking with a friend from Sweden because that's the only person who's still up at two in the morning (laughs) to chit chat with finally as we're discussing I was like I don't know why I'm still crying it hit me it had been 48 hours since I had taken that microdose and I was so certain that it was the plant's way of showing me what my insides felt like they're like you continue to tell yourself it's only 10 hours a week and it's good money so you keep doing it your insides are crying all the time because of this job and because of that realization, I went in and I said, I've got to quit. This has got to go. And that was a move I probably would not have taken otherwise had the had this plant medicine, you know, and just a microdose, something that small yeah. led to that realization. Yeah. I've heard, That's interesting. Yeah. I was just reading about a microdose study that people wanted to collectively gather information of who's microdosed, right? And it's kind of a newer thing now, like Silicon Valley and California that everyone thinks, well, you microdose, you become more creative. Tell me, what's the premise behind microdosing? Like, can you tell me what people actually do that for? A lot of different reasons. Um, Like I said, I don't have a ton of experience with microdosing. I've only done that one microdose of psilocybin, but I have friends who microdose either psilocybin or LSD as as a depression medication instead of taking an SSRI, another antidepressant, because just that little extra burst of, if it's serotonin from psilocybin or or if it's LSD, just that little, like, you know, if your depression is mild, you just need a little bump to get over the, the, the hump and, like, get on with your day, that's what it provides. Other people definitely do it for focus 
um, yeah. a little yeah, a little clarity, creativity. Um, I spoke with somebody at the MAPS dinner who had microdosed a little beforehand to open him up a little and make him a little more social. A- and I had no idea because, li- you know, with a microdose, nobody is quote-unquote high. Yeah. Nobody seems altered. But there's enough neurochemistry change that, you know, if you're a real introvert and you need a little help opening up, it's that kind of thing. There's just a wide variety of, of options for why people microdose. Yeah, in, in my experience with microdosing, it's been for the focus part. Like, I don't during climbing, I'd, I'd like to do a small microdose because I'm, like, sharp. Like, it's like there's that little bit of I need to be alert, right, because there's something happening. And so you're just, that's what I feel from it. Like, there's a little bit of alertness. As opposed to, like, if you were to take a whole thing and you're trying to climb, like, it's just like, oh, these no. rocks are pretty, yeah. you know? Like, that's no. a completely different experience, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you microdose LSD for the climbing? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The, and, and it's just for me, it, once again, it's just for the sharpness, but not enough where, like, I don't even feel it. It's just more like I'm a little sharper than usual. You know, it's kind of like taking, like, our brain candy, right? Where it's like it's with the brain candy from ours because you do you like to do two doses of that mm-hmm. and you're fine with me even with one dose i can feel like a little bit of like buzziness of like i'm sharp which i like but i wouldn't have liked that on a climb because that i don't i don't want that <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> like that's not what i'm looking for yeah but I it's it's just one of those things that it's like it, there's different experiments to do and the best way to know it is to you know to try the different levels right yeah absolutely. because i have done before where it's like oh, i'm gonna take a full one try to go climbing it's like oh yeah this is definitely not happening like, yeah. no. No, we're, we're, we're canceling this climb yeah yeah, yeah. Like, that's happened before. well see i heard <laughs> that too the first time someone even said microdosing i was like what on shrooms like how are you going to get anything done they're like no, no no just a little bit just to activate the brain and which is incredible because if you think about optimizing function Anyone that you will meet, especially in our realm, they're high-functioning business entrepreneurs. Mindset is go, 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 go. They really don't like partake in a lot of alcohol nowadays, right? You know, some of the people who are like heavy drinkers or whatever, you'll realize you can't really get a lot done, you know, because you're working around the idea is either you're drunk or you feel bad because you were drunk the day before and you're worthless, right? Yeah, if you take a bunch of ass and LSD, you might be worthless the next day too. But the idea is just you're trying to create synapses, in the brain to where your brain is firing and then after a while if their serotonin and dopamine is increased maybe you feel better and you have motivation and the creativity juice is flowing to say right yeah. i mean that's essentially what it is they're saying this is help me be creative yeah and a lot of people were talking yesterday at the conference like how creative are you when you're super depressed like yes we know that there are many authors and artists and painters and singers who have depression and that that leads to their creative genius but there's a certain level of depression where you're not getting out of bed. You know, you're not necessarily painting when you're not getting out of bed or, or writing songs, et cetera. But if, if you can get past the depression, you can still have that experience and be crea- creative from it. But now you have the energy to be creative. Yeah. So that's a big part of, of why it's helpful. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I've noticed that personally just when I'm depressed, I am not creative enough and I don't write my ideas down. I have Evernotes. I love Evernotes. I've had it for years and I always keep track of anything in there and then I'll write, I actually still write ideas down. I can't, I have chicken scratch. I'm sure your handwriting is probably better than me, but it's, it's, uh, it's horrible. I'm like, what did I write there? But I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Right. And so when I am depressed, I am not creative. It's very hard for my mood to get up to that level. It's high. It's hard for me to reach that hierarchy in the brain where I unlock that part of my brain that's like, you remember that idea you had a couple months ago? Let's elaborate on it, right? And for most people, imagine if we had everyone that was high functioning all the time, we would 
that's why the best ideas come out, right? That's why we, you know, planning on going to the moon and living there or why we're going to have re uh, regenerative energy and agriculture. Like all those ideas you heard me talk about, if someone's brain's firing all the time, you come up with the next solution, right? It's because we have problems and you're like, how do you find the solution, yeah. right? And I think what Baldo has taught me as well and what I like about the approach with maps, they're not just saying you're going to take a bunch of psychoactives and then not work on yourself, right? The idea if is anything, it's, the opposite. it's the opposite. You need to work on yourself to be prepared for this journey that you're about to encounter with these psychoactives that could lead to this breakthrough that you would never, ever imagine before. You have to prepare your mind and your body to be able to receive that message. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So so the depression, the, the not wanting to get it out of bed phase, um, it's probably a question for you as well, too. Um, is that really from the pathway of serotonin and dopamine? Is is it also because of the lack of dopamine? I think so. I mean, you could probably answer that too. But like, yeah, I think, I think what happens is we have a metabolism that demands certain things from us on a daily basis, right? And so, um, a highly stressful environment creates a hormone and neurotransmitter imbalance to where, like, let's say, for example you're stressed out all the time, your cortisol is increased throughout the day, right? If at nighttime you have trouble falling asleep, cortisol suppresses melatonin, right? So then you won't get a good night's rest if you're stressed out all the time, right? Then you got to think about what's your clarity like the next day, right? If you didn't get a good night's rest, were you able to produce more serotonin and dopamine to withstand the day coming up? Dopamine itself is a motivating neurotransmitter, right? So if I have no dopamine all the time, people think, Parkinson's right all the time. I think this person is not motiva motivated to do anything. You think about writer's block? Well, yeah, they have no serotonin or dopamine, and they're sitting there thinking alcohol is going to do that for them to get out the writer's block. The problem is none of that stuff increases serotonin or dopamine, yep. right? Psychedelics do. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I I appreciate it. And th uh, that description is just overall a neuro neurotransmitter imbalance that – and. In the Plant Medicine Podcast, we're not just focused on psychedelics because even things like CBD and cannabis can help restore that balance because they work on the endocannabinoid system. And the endocannabinoid system has a lot to do with maintaining homeostasis and trying to restore homeostasis. If your neurotransmitters are all out of whack, it can help bring them back. That's why something like CBD is so effective for a wide range for depression, PTSD, anxiety, because whatever direction your neurotransmitters are out of whack, it can kind of help bring them back to, to balance. Yeah, and so if you think about it, like, I've heard many people say, at the end of the day or at the end of my life, all I cared about was my health, right? I wanted to invest as much as I could into my health, right? Health is an investment, and it, you have to do something every day to put something in the savings account for later down the road, right? Like, there's a checking account that we need energy today, and there's something we need down the road when we're 50 or 60. Baldo fasts all the time. I told you he's becoming the fasting expert. He does it for longevity purposes, right? Imagine if you went up to someone and said, I take CBD and THC and psilocybin and LSD for, to promote longevity. Ten years ago, people were like, you're nuts. Like, there's no way you get any of that, right? But yet, nowadays, you say, that seems to make sense, when opposed to ten years ago, alcohol and cigarette smoking was like the norm, right? Like, you never went up to someone and said, well, hey, man, you know what? Those cigarettes and alcohol is probably like the worst decision you could ever make. Like, you should probably just stop it. You, life would be a lot better for it. 
50% of all cancers are preventable. A lot of them have to do with your lifestyle, right? But imagine a person is doing psychedelics, either micro or macro on a certain level by meditating, journal writing, self-seeking, building relationships. They're going to live a longer life because they're lowering their cortisol and removing the stress that's basically tearing up their brain. And all along, it's going to be like your brain was pretty healthy. Imagine 50 years from now, the research says all that acid and mushrooms you did actually was pretty good for your brain. Like, it's going to happen. I wouldn't happen. be surprised. I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. The medical community might be shocked. And all the people who are like, you know, the traditional uptight conservatives might be surprised too. But then again, like all the people that you ever meet that talk about MDMA and psilocybin and all that – are high-functioning professionals. They're not saying, I'm going to the club every night. They're saying, I got a presentation in a week, and I got to be sharp, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So many of these medicines have already been shown via this research to have neuroprotective or neuroregenerative effects. CBD is patented by the U.S. government for its neuroprotective qualities. Uh, Ayahuasca, I had Dr. Dan Engel on my podcast. I interviewed him the other day, and he'd been a soccer player and had a bunch of CTE, a chromatic, right. or s- chromatic, um, <laughs> chronic traumatic encephalopathy where he was heading the ball all the time, and he had neuroimaging that showed there was significant damage from that. And he did ayahuasca ceremony after, I, I think he said like he'd done 400 ceremonies, and it was showing whether or not, th- I don't know that it was, um, that there was actually noticeable regeneration, but I think he had said, and when the podcast comes out, I'll link it to you guys, but like there was a functional MRI showing that that the, the synaptic connections were refiring in ways that they hadn't before. And psilocybin is known to have the same thing, like the interconnectivity of the neurons is way different on these substances. And so it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, like a lot of the degenerative things we're used to associating with old age, dementia, Alzheimer's, short-term, long-term memory loss. If we're, and I'm not saying, and nobody is saying, do these substances every day. Um, CBD, probably, you know, more benign than the rest, but even then, you know, take breaks and do psychedelics as necessary, but they do have, they seem to have a neuroprojective and at neuroprotective and neuroregenerative effects. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because a lot of those um, degenerative diseases, uh, that's probably the, the common thing, right, is that there's no communication to one part of the brain or the other, right? Like, And it's almost like with CTE, it's almost like, well, yeah, it keeps dying off, so there's, there's not going to be communication there, but it would make sense that something like a psychedelic you know that when you do any of those things, there's more going on in your brain. And if it's anything like, oh, I'm hallucinating, it's like, well, that's just because like your brain's making up things now, and there's so much more synapses going. You would imagine that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that. And there's probably is now some research on that that I don't necessarily know. But just from the experience, I know that there's no way that this is going on and my brain is like being damaged right, right. now. Like there's just no way that my that my I'm just more create or like the other day. I was at a party, it was an MDMA party, and I was sitting down with someone, and we were having a very deep conversation, and everything just made sense when a lot of the times that communication with this person, sometimes it's like I have to go back and forth. It w- that wasn't happening anymore. It was like the communication was just right there, and we just figured it a lot for our business. Uh, and and it, it was really neat because, because uh, you know, it, it's, it's almost one of those things that I, w- I would want to make it like, hey, once a month we should do this and have a meeting, and then like, let's kill it right like let's you know like that's how it feels that it could be at some point yeah no absolutely it's it's a great tool and they they did show this this graphic from the imperial college london paul stamets had shown this graphic from the psilocybin research and it had on the left like this is your brain 
it was like a it showed you know kind of mild synaptic connection this is your brain default and then it showed on psilocybin and it was just like this whoosh this big web of connection and you're right like there's a reason that you're having these crazy hallucinations and visuals because your brain is accessing different parts that it's not generally accessing and and combine you know like one part's accessing the another part that it wouldn't on a, on a normal yeah. basis i mean there's other ways you can have those kinds of hallucinations breath work um, yep. starvation <laughs> after a long enough if you're starving oh you, yeah, know, you start to lose yeah. weight there's there's many different ways but you know this is this is a pretty reliable way of, of getting those synaptic connections to fire yeah. well it's like they need to redo that like this is your brain on you know on yeah. regular and this is your brain on drugs right? like I, I yeah. did that on instagram i put this is your brain this is your brain on shrooms yeah because yeah. that's that's what the gra- i mean the graphic was perfectly set up for that and yeah. that's what paul stamets said like this is actually that you know it's not a fried egg like the old school one yeah it's, it's a it's a, f- a magnificently colorful, fired-up egg. <laughs> well, but it's medicine. That's the thing. That's the difference, right? Because when you say drugs, it has a negative connotation to it. Even if, like, if you call prescriptions drugs, you don't bat an eye at that. Oh, I take morphine because it's a prescription. The doctor prescribes the morphine. The patient takes the morphine. If they're taking it like they should, they're compliance. They're being a good patient. They're taking their medicine like they should. And I'm thinking, at what point what, did it become the norm that opioids were going to be like a normal drug that you prescribe to the common person, right? Uh, psychedelics are never talk, talked about. Testosterone was never talked about until recently. Um, you talk about antidepressants, antipsychotics. I was telling Balder there was a study that said antipsychotic medications will decrease well, actually, no. It increases cognitive decline risk by like 50%. Because what most medicines do is they just block receptor sites. And they basically fill in. It's like a key and lock system, right? So if you have a key into a certain brain part of your you know, of your body, uh, let's call it um, the hippocampus, right? Hippocampus is all memory. So if you're able to target a receptor on the hippocampus, you're going to lock potential for memory. Antipsychotics block that receptor on the self to the hippocampus from firing at all, whether it's misfunctioning or not. So if you're blocking a cell from functioning at all, that cell is basically like, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. But imagine you're like, no, we put the right key in to activate it. Whether this is function or not, we need to go in there and figure out what's going on. It's like cleaning out your closet, right? you got to go in there, start moving things around, and figure out what it is that we're dealing with here. Psychedelics activate the hippocampus when you take it so there could be a short-term or long-term memory right ptsd is a prime example ptsd is a soldier comes back from war here's a something like a gunshot that pops off and all of a sudden they're triggered back to all this shit back in the day right you give them prozac and ambien they turn them into a zombie so they can sleep at night and then they take prozac for their oppression that probably doesn't get all that much better right because it's like i still hear the gunshot i just have to increase my dosage next time well, what if you took something that helped you disassociate that gunshot rewire. sound? You rewire your brain. That's what psychedelics do. So in my sense, that's what medicine should have always been designed to do in the first place, right? Yeah, what you're saying is the basic medicines should be designed to cure and not treat the symptoms. Correct. And that's, yeah, currently antidepressants can do no more than treat the symptoms the majority of time. They may treat the symptoms while you're using psychotherapy to help get at the root cause. But for a lot of people, that takes a long time, if ever. And that's why you'll hear very frequently people refer to an ayahuasca journey as something like 10 to 20 years of therapy in one night. Yep, I've heard that. Because it is like that. Because, for example, for me, I had 
my first ayahuasca journey, like seven major life realizations that I cannot imagine getting from a therapist. And the other reason I think that that's true is that a therapist is not you. And so there's always that layer of separation, like that, you know, whether or not you actively think it, there's that, you don't know my life, right? Yeah. You've never been in my shoes. You don't know my circumstances. Like they can all, and all that therapist can do is give you their best guess as to what they think sure. might help you. When you're in these psychedelics, it is your brain giving you these lessons. It is you telling you what to do. The knowledge is in you. And the spirit of the plants, as woo-woo as that sounds, the spirit of whatever molecule you're on brings it out. So when I got seven lessons from ayahuasca, there was no question that these were like hard and fast and were for me because they weren't coming from another person. And not, there was no wall of separation. My own experience and my own brain and, and whatever spirit in the universe is working to cohese that into lessons, that's what was teaching me. And that's why those lessons have so much more impact for me today. There's no question. There's no question, did I get the right advice? I know I got the right advice. It came from me. Yeah. It's personalized to me. That's cool. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. Hey, Vitamizers. We are so thankful that you guys are listening to this podcast and enjoying it and responding to it. We love hearing your feedback. And to thank you for listening to the podcast, if you haven't ordered an item from the Slenderella store before, we have a discount for you. If you go to www.slenderellausa.com, that link is also below. If you go to that link uh, and use the code WELCOME20, all one word, uh, at checkout, you will get 20% off your entire first order on our website. Again, thank you so much for listening to the How Do You Health podcast sponsored by Slenderella. Please go to our website, slenderellausa.com, use the code WELCOME20 at checkout, and you'll get 20% off of your entire order. Thanks so much, Vitamizers. Because um, we talked about therapists earlier. I was like, we know a bunch of them. Finding that right match to the right therapist is the huge difference, right? Because some people are like, I'm not going to open up to this person. When you're doing psychedelics, you have no choice but to open up. And that's the thing. It's like you dive into it, and it freaks you out because people don't like to get out of their comfort zone, right? Like I'm afraid of heights, so I don't like going in an airplane all the time because it freaks me the hell out. But it's a mental block, right? It's more of like, why am I really that scared? We're going to be safe in an airplane. You know, it's not a big deal. Everyone flies all the time. But it almost goes back to ideas like, what are you afraid of if you go back to your childhood and you unlock that trauma for why you still do this to this day, right? Why you can't have a good relationship with a loved one, why you still haven't been able to reach out to your mom and tell them what you feel. It holds you back as a person because as we embark on our daily routines, we suppress everything. I don't have time to address the idea I had heartburn after that meal. I don't have time to address the fact that I got no sleep last night. I don't have time to address the fact that my, word ca my world came shattering down an hour ago, but yet I got to go see all these people because I got to close these deals, right? Oh, and I still got to drive home, pick up the cleaning, make dinner for the kids, and then somehow eat myself, right? Like that's, that's too much stress to deal with, right? So the people who basically go live in the mountains, go live in the woods, they don't have to deal with that stuff. That's one way they kind of de-stress. But if you suppress that stuff long enough, I will tell you from personal experience, it comes out in many ways. When I went to the ER for a, like a mental breakdown, modern medicine couldn't help me. They at one point said, we run every test, it's stress. And so I was like, well, what do you do for it? Well, here's a clonopin. Here's something to calm your nerves. I said, well, this is not what I want. Like, I don't want something that could kill me and suppress my immune system and my respiratory system at the same time. That doesn't seem right. What else do you have for me? I don't know. Talk to a therapist. 
it wasn't a lot of help, right? I was medicine too. I was like, maybe it's a hemorrhage. Maybe it's like, you know, some weird issue with my blood pressure and something off of my electrolytes. Wasn't the case at all. It was like stress. So I was like, how do I deal with stress? Well, psychedelics. People quit things because stress is not there. I quit my job. We talked about it on your podcast. I was in the worst position as far as mentally going. That's why I had the breakdown. Physically, I couldn't take any more. Mentally, I said, I got to do something about it. I'm going to quit everything I've ever known and go off on this completely other road. And it's scary as hell. I got my best friend along with me to do it. My wife supported me. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. And it took me to a place I never ever looked back and said I shouldn't have done that. Never in a million years would I ever say that was the stupidest decision I ever made. I took a chance because of self-realization. You're here saying I'm looking for the next thing. I'm looking for the next thing. I think you found a couple things, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe? Like you found plant medicine? I, I've definitely found, yeah, I've found many things because when I left medicine, there was no question what my mission was. It was to remedy the fact that as doctors, the first Hippocratic, you know, we take the Hippocratic Oath, and the mm -hmm. first thing we say is first do no harm. And in my estimation, keeping the knowledge of psychedelics from people was doing harm by omission. And I'm like, I've heard the past, because I had only been doing psychedelics for a few years of the years I had been at the VA, but I was like, I would love to do undo all those years of silence. How do I how do I remedy this situation and get this information to the most people? And that's why I started the podcast and aimed it at physicians because then every physician that hears the podcast, all of their patients have the benefit of that physician's knowledge. And so I'm trying to educate the educators, you know, the people who are going to say to that person who comes into the ER and they're having a mental breakdown and somebody says, what are my options? I want the doctor who's heard my podcast to say, well, there's this medicine, there's therapy, there is also psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And currently, there's really only ketamine that's legal and widely available, but still I would love every doctor who feels it's valid for their patient to be presenting that because it's significantly more effective than to a be lot an of option. Yeah. yeah. And right now your average doctor just doesn't know that. Like it's it, it's becoming more popular, but I want I want this to be widespread knowledge, and then in a year or two when psilocybin and MDMA are approved by the FDA, I want doctors to know that that's an option too, and how to find resources for their patients. Because even right now, like if you go in and you say, how is my back pain? The average doctor doesn't know enough about CBD to even say CBD is an option. Yeah. And fair enough, because there's, okay, half the CBD out there is olive oil or whatever the, the horror stories have been. Yes, those are all true, but if we educate doctors on CBD is good for this, this, and this, here's the science behind it, and here's what to tell your patients in looking for one, then maybe we've got a chance of them providing another option so we're not just handing out medications, you know, the traditional pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Can I play Davis Advocate for a second? Give it to All right. So let's say how many doctors were in attendance at this MAPS conference this weekend? So many. I'd say over 50. They had all the MDs in the room raise their hand, and there were so many. There's a lot, right? Yeah. And that's that's not the norm. 10 years ago, right now, it's getting to that way. But let's say that you have uh, a doctor who's attending a conference or maybe from afar saying, I'm not too sure about this. If you're going to allow MDMA and all that to be legal, is it going to be abused like the way Oxycontin was? Because we were told this is the next best thing for pain to treat pain as the fifth vital sign and blah, blah. You heard this personally. Right? Do you feel like there's a chance that 
if it becomes a prescription, it's going to be the way of the way opioids were. Well, the FDA is currently so careful because of that same thing because they okayed opioids and now this is happening and so now that MDMA and psilocybin are going through the FDA process there's it Ma uh, Rick Doblin from MAPS was expressing that there are more hoops to jump through because of what happened with that however opioids have known addictive dependency qualities and are easily overdosed on and those two things are not true for the majority of the, the substances we're talking about like Ibogaine example we said like there's no way anybody's going to addicted to Ibogaine because it's terrible and treacherous and really hard to go through and and should be done under you know like nobody hopefully nobody should be doing Ibogaine by themselves you have to have a cardiac check that kind of thing so if it's approved it's only going to be administered by doctors there's a lot of you know in the scheduling system ways that you can make sure that things are only given in certain ways but that I think that's the big difference is, is you show through these studies look the safety and efficacy is here and there isn't that potential for addiction and dependence and withdrawal kind of symptoms or easy overdose it, it should be yeah I, I understand why people are gun shy from the opioids but now that people are on and, and have difficulty getting off of opioids and things like CBD can help that things like Ibogaine is huge for getting people off their opioid addictions. Like once they once they realize that this is actually the an antidote to those problems, hopefully they open their minds. Okay, one more devil's advocate question. So <laughs> let's say that it becomes a medication in a year, which it does. Do you think medicine, traditional allopathic medicine, should be in control of MDMA, psilocybin, LSD? Or should it go back to the public like it's always been a part of? Uh, choice B for most of the medicines. Uh, Ibogaine's a little bit different. Like I said, there's it's got cardiac arrhythmia potential. Is that the one that you that you? Uh That's combo, combo. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ibogaine is is an injection. Um, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Ibogaine is well, I don't know if you can inject it, but it's given as a pill. Um, but you know, people have died from ibogaine, and it's generally those with heart problems. Um, because it, it's arrhythmogenic, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it took a second. But I think psilocybin should be widely available because the difference between having uh, it as a pharmaceutical and us having to pay out the wazoo for what it generally costs, and depending, like this was a huge discussion at the MAPS conference. It just came up over and over and over again. Is do we go the medical model? Do we go for-profit model? Do we go non-profit? Like how do we ensure that this isn't just another rich white people thing? And that's the only people who've got in good insurance are the ones who can afford it. Sure. And and the discussion, at least around, for example, the the natural ones, the plant-based ones like psilocybin, is psilocybin is like a dollar to make a bunch of mushrooms once you set it up. It's so cheap, and people should have the ability to create their own medicine. Go to cow patties. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah, to create their own medicine and use it like like um, Carlos uh, Plazola from Decriminalized Nature said. He was quoting Dr. Carl Hart saying, like, people should be in charge of their own consciousness because that's what these are unlocking is your consciousness. And for us to say, like, you don't get the keys to your own consciousness unless a doctor gives it to you is, is not right. Like, yeah. I, I firmly believe that the ones that are safe, that are generally safe, I mean, look at alcohol doesn't take a doctor to prescribe you that, neither do cigarettes, and both of those are widely available and they're not that safe. Yeah. Yeah. So these things that are safer than alcohol, psilocybin, um, generally ayahuasca and, and LSD, like those kinds of things, MDMA, should be available to everybody and, and and the thing is like 
the key thing with the molecules like MDMA is we have to have widespread testing to make sure people are getting what they believe to be, you know, what, what is actual pure, Cor correct, yeah. pure substance. Because a lot of the harms that you hear about people with different overdoses or different bad reactions, that's because it wasn't pure. Um, so I am in favor for there to be methods that provide the most options to the most people because the underserved, the marginalized are always going to have either a hard time getting access to medicine or have uh, more suspicion towards the, the medical profession just from years and years of, of, of history of being maltreated. And so I don't want fear of doctors or fear of going to a clinic or fear of the shame of asking for this to be a barrier to anybody. I think they, with whatever model we can come up with that they're widely, as widely available as possible as opposed to prescription only for all of these. Yeah, I think it's, I'm glad they brought that up because it does bring up the idea of like, if you're patenting nature and you take something that's been around way before us, it goes the same way as, as the weed plant, right? It's like, that's been around. Mushrooms are naturally grown in earth. We don't need to grow it in a lab. I don't know if traditional medicine should be responsible for nature because even though most medicines come from nature, it has to go through a heavily processed procedure just to get to that point. But yeah, it's like, imagine you have all these clinics that open up instead of hormone replacement centers. You have instead of low T centers, you basically have, here's a psilocybin treatment center. It's like you can only do psilocybin. It's only legal with a prescription because that's what happens in Texas right now for with uh, for marijuana. Yeah. yeah, like you have to have a prescription. You have to have seizures. Yeah. Uh, you have to have like, chronic pain or something. It's just kind of weird. And then there's a bunch of loops that go through it. So just outside of Austin, it's probably one of the biggest dispensaries in the nation. And they're selling to everyone outside of Texas because they can't sell down the road because it's not available yet but they're preparing for it to open up in a few years and they'll be like one of the big dogs but it's almost like you can easily just go down the road to your buddy get a bag of weed and like you can have whatever kind of therapy you need at your house right you don't need to wait for a doctor to do it because that's <laughs> what people are kind of doing anyway right they're having yeah facilitations and shamans right oh yeah and we know a bunch of people they're doing it and it's going to be weird because i'm wondering like how is it going to change their approach, right, to treating mental wellness and meditation and all that. I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's even concerned about that because I don't know. No one's ever considered, I guess, maybe. Considered what part? The idea that if you take over medicine and you and medicine is allowed to, to take over something that's been a tradition in religion and cultures for hundreds of thousands of years, how does it change the dynamic on how people address health issues? Because health is not medicine right sickness is medicine right health is your own interpretation of how you take care of your body so if someone willingly says i'm going to go on my way to take lsd and psilocybin and smoke a bunch of weed um are they going to be able to do it right because it's going to be legal but it's like you have to have a prescription to do it well that's why a lot of the discussion i mean this was brought up over and over and over again is like how do we make sure that that it's not that there aren't these barriers um, because like I was taking the gentleman from Decriminalized Nature, he said when they decriminalized, they decriminalized all entheogenic plants in opium. So ayahuasca, hypergain, um, psilocybin. He said once that came out, a lot of people who'd never considered it before suddenly were turned on to the idea and then sought out these mushrooms or other plants for their own healing. And I think that's a lot of it is that when you take away the stigma 
hey, these things are legal, and here's some science behind it, it's much more likely that people are going to, to reach out. Like, think about all the people using CBD now that it's legal everywhere yeah. and you don't need a prescription. Great, we're going to try this for everything. And somebody who would have never thought it before, once it's legal and you can find it, you know, much more easily, I, I think it, it opens up the conversation. I mean, look at all the people who take turmeric or who take glucosamine chondroitin for their, you know, we've been looking for ways to promote our health for a long time that don't necessarily come from doctors. And I think that's just the next progression is when we realize like, hey, if we do this microdose, we could have more brain health. Or if we take some CBD prophylactically, we can, we can have neuroprotection. We do ayahuasca every once in a while. That's, that's a great adjunct to therapy. I think people are going to start adding that to their regimen. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It's like, because we've talked about it too, because we love vitamins so much that, you know, we opened up a vitamin bar here in Austin. And we start a suppl supplement company, Slenderella, right, for, for vitamins. Um, it's over the counter, which is incredible. But the, the second you start messing with IVs and shots, it kind of changes the approach. And it's funny because in a roundabout way, the people who regulate us regulate both of it. They regulate food. They regulate medications and non-medications as well. And it's funny because anyone who wants to get healthier can go into the local grocery store and pick up a bottle of vitamin C and maybe some B12 and maybe if there's a good store they might find like glutathione or adrenal support and they don't need anyone to tell them that you know this is the one you do they just take it I couldn't imagine like one day you just walk into like an herb store and you're just like I'm gonna get a little of this I'm gonna get some bananas and get some mushrooms to take home and I'll make a tea with it right like I'm just gonna do that on a Saturday night it's very possible that that's gonna be the norm in five to ten years right I mean, I Maybe. don't know about the norm <laughs> that quickly, but I live in California, and so I can currently walk into any of a very high-end cannabis shop and do that exact same thing with CBD or marijuana products for the entire spectrum. Yeah. And so, you know, I can imagine, should it become legal, that those things would just be added to the to the offering in those stores. To the grocery list. <laughs> right, but like, seriously, but like in my normal sprouts, I can get CBD balm there. Yeah. You know, and... and Wait, um, so, but Sprouts doesn't sell actual marijuana there. Correct. They're correct. just CBD. Yeah. And a lot of that is not just, is it legal, but just like alcohol, you know, there, you know, alcohol's been legal for decades, and yet there are only certain times in certain counties you can and can't sell it. Yeah. Um, and so there are still regulations around the legality, but overall just making sure that it's decriminalized is a big start because... You know, if something's completely illegal, then you're not going to have uh, it's not going to show up in any store. But once it's decriminalized or made legal, like like uh, marijuana is, then that really opens up the options yeah. to work within those regulations. Well, the the Circle K at right by our house sells CBD now. Nice. It's like oh, and and, it, and there's a little check mark that says lab tested. I was like, I don't know what that means. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you what that means. Would you like to know? Yeah, that of course. Yeah. Um, because like uh, like I hinted at a, a minute ago, they did this study and they found a lot of CBD supplements, mainly oils were mostly olive oil or coconut or whatever the oil carrier was, they had almost no CBD in it. And so for CBD to be effective, it has to have CBD in it, sure. yeah. first and <laughs> foremost. Yeah. It has to have the amount that it says it has. And then it has to be free of solvents, free of bacteria, mold, fungi. And um, what was the other thing? Well, there's something else it should be free of. Uh, there's, a, there's a list, but like the, the sponsor that I have for my podcast is a CBD company. And I would only work with them after they put all of their labs up. So I can see, okay, yes, yours has, oh, this is the other thing. It's like, if it says it has no THC, you'd like to be sure that it has no THC in it. 
And so they, they put up the labs and it shows the exact percentage of CBD, the amount of milligrams, and then the fact that there's no detectable THC and that it has no solvents and none of the other, the other things in it because you don't want CBD that has inflammatory things in it. Like if it's got solvents in it, you know, you've got some like butane or whatever they use to, to yeah. extract it. Well, the anti-inflammatory properties that CBD has are going to be completely counteracted. Yep. And the other thing is um, for those people who eat their CBD food gummies, Pay attention to the fact that, like, what's sweetening that? Is it sugar? Yeah. Is it high fructose corn syrup? Yeah. Like, if they're not using stevia or something else like that, you've got something inflammatory with something anti-inflammatory just canceling each other out. I so agree. lab tested is, is a huge thing to, to look for on a CBD product. Yeah, we had a, uh, a friend of ours that you should have seen it. a year ago, and I'm sure California was the same way. It was like the Wild West. Everyone's like, I'm investing in a farm. I'm investing in this guy. And blah. I mean, they were talking about they were dumping it in like it was the next Bitcoin. Like this is the cash crop that you want to be a part of. So people were heavily invested in it. And then a few months go by, and they're all selling, right? Or they're like, oh, it's not doing as well as we wanted to. It's it's a harder business than we thought. And one guy said like, yeah, you know, we got a pretty good model. We're going to you know sell to a bigger company and all that. But, um, you know, we had to increase our margins by going GMO. So the way we grow weed now is we use GMO because, you know, this better retain, better return, you get more extraction and all that stuff. I'm sitting here like, I don't want GMO CBD right. across the board, like, because there's no one to regulate it just yet. Anyone can put it out just like supplements, right? And so it's almost like, well, who's going to be the third party that regulates it? Is there going to be? I mean, is there an actual one right now? Uh, no. And that's why it's really important to go to the website of whoever you're thinking of buying from, because a lot of us buy it online, and check, is it organically sourced? Is it free of, of GMOs? Is it free of THC? Like, these things should all be stated on the website. A lot of the big names, they, they're just popular, and people don't necessarily check. No, even the big name ones don't assume check that it's organically grown, that it's free of GMOs, that it's free of all the things that you're not looking for in it. Because this is the thing, cannabis is just like beer, for example. You've got the big guys that are pumping out what I assume is really crappy beer. I don't know. I don't drink beer, but like Anheuser-Busch or whatever. Yeah. Sorry, I'm from St. Louis. I'm yeah, I know, sorry. <laughs> Every St. Louisan just hated me. But <laughs> then you have the craft breweries, and it may be like, here's an organic beer, here's a gluten-free beer, and you know you're getting slightly higher quality. Same thing with cannabis. You know, you can go with the, the big producers, or you can find you know, more of your craft cannabis and and either way do your research to know what's in them because you're right there there may be GMO people out there there are people saying CBD is going to help your joint inflammation and they're popping sugar into their CBD yeah body. like people can make claims but look look beneath the surface the onus is on you same thing you know when people buy supplements off Amazon which I do do <laughs> you know you can either get the no name one or the one with like a reputable lab yep. it's no different just make sure that you're when you go to the grocery store you check to see if this apple is organic or non-organic you've got to do the same thing with all yeah. of your supplements yeah. and all of your plant medicine I just care about what you're putting in your body I've always, <laughs> said I've always said it. just be aware of what you're doing be that person at the restaurant say can you switch out the iceberg lettuce to spinach? Can What's the corn oil that you're using? Can we switch it to olive oil? Like, you know, yes. you, you say that, right? But I want to ask you uh, something really quick. So, full spectrum. Yes. Fan, not a fan? Fan. Fan. Why? Because of the entourage effect. Okay. Um, it's so funny that like you say that. that. I was, ju I was just, uh, so I am the medical director for MarijuanaBreak.com. And so I, I edit a lot of our articles, and we, I was just editing a full-spectrum article today. And you can have full-spectrum CBD that still has no THC in it. Sure. Because it's from, if it's from hemp, 
that it cannot have more than 0.3% THC, period. Gotcha. That's the definition. But what you're missing, if you take out everything but the CBD, you're missing the other cannabinoids and the terpenes. Yep. And don't ask me exactly what a terpene is, but like the other, you know, cannabinoids or other things like CBD, there's CBN or CBG, and acting all together, that's called the entourage effect. And they found that that is more beneficial than CBD by itself. That's what I've heard too. So like a place that THC is outlawed, it's probably harder to find it, right? Like, but you just, I think it's almost like if you call it full spectrum hemp, could you say that? Yeah, that's, so for example, like the Oxygon Biolabs is who sponsors my podcast. And yeah. they, their website says full spectrum hemp oil. And it, the reason that they're using the term hemp is to notify everybody ours you know a it's legal because that's legal everywhere and it has less than 0.3 percent thc but still full spectrum in the fact that within that hemp product without you know without the thc it is not going to exclude the other cannabinoids and the terpenes gotcha and see the way i've understood it as well is that the thc that's used in full spectrum there is thc in full spectrum it's just such a small small ratio that Technically, if someone were to get tested for it, I don't think they'd be even high enough level to actually increase, you know, something it's on the toxicology report. That's that's a big deal at this point. Um, for example, like I was just looking at the labs for Octagon, and the THC is is labeled as non-detectable. And I was speaking with a sports medicine physician who works with a lot of professional and Olympic athletes, and so he's talking about like the WADA uh, testing, yep. and that's different from your average person you know, going in to get drug testing, but those are both like concerns, you know, if you're a military, et cetera. And he said, the issue is, yes, there's such a small amount of THC, but THC does get stuck in your fat. That's yeah. where it ends up. So if you like do a lot of fat burning and you've had a lot of CBD with a little bit of THC, like it could at some point register if you hit high enough levels. So it's something to, to continuously, like it's not, <coughs> excuse me, not something I had, I or I don't know if anybody else at this point has a great answer for that. Like, will it show up on your drug test? You hope not, but again, like it's really hard to say depending on how much CBD are you taking, how much is is you know, do you have fat stores that are storing it? How much fat did you burn right before yeah. you took your drug testing? Like even WADA, there's I think he said it's up to 150 milligrams of THC is still allowable, but that's their drug test. Like what about the you know Department of Defense's drug yeah. test? Yeah, like, these are these are difficult areas, and that's why. It's so crucial for there to be full decriminalization of of cannabis and, and legalization, in, in my estimation, so that people can use this. Because, you know, your average military person gets to drink alcohol. That's significantly more dangerous, yeah. generally. You know, there's drunk driving, et cetera. Yes, there's intoxicated cannabis driving, but much less common. And there's healing that can come from cannabis. Rarely ever is alcohol healing thing yeah but yet there's all these restrictions and drug testing and it makes it since it's still a really fear-based thing so that's why it's important to just have this full legalization so that people can use this as a medicine without the fear of losing their jobs or their or their athletic potential yeah uh, I think of Ricky Williams the running back for UT and then he was a professional running back he got suspended like several seasons because he repeatedly failed drug tests and it was always marijuana and he said the reason I started smoking it was because well one in college like everyone had it right like all the players it was a party drug right but then when he got to the pros um, anytime he got an injury the doctors on the team basically just fed him full of you know opioids and pain pills and whatever he's like it didn't make me feel good 
at all. Like he goes, and I didn't want to do it. I like take my body seriously. So I don't want to put that stuff in there. So he's like, I increased my cannabis smoking because it helped me heal the pain. And he says, and if you want to know, he goes, the first full season I smoked weed was my best season ever in the NFL. Do you know why? Why? Because THC is actually a performance enhancing substance. It is. It is. I had Dr. Kerry Mike. I'm going to. Is that because of designation or because of actuality? What do you mean designation? Oh, no, no, no. It it is actually a. Okay. Yeah. So if uh, you go to the Plant Medicine Podcast and listen to the scientific research episode of cannabis, it's funny because I had this this gentleman named Dr. Alif, Harvard-trained scientist, worked with the McKenna's. Like, he's been doing plant-based medicine research forever. And when I got him on, I was like, can we talk about the things that cannabis is, is, is able to help? He starts off by saying, well, it's the best performance-enhancing sports supplement you could ask for. I was like, whoa. Like, I thought he'd start with depression or pain sure. or something like that. <laughs> but he goes into it, and forgive me that I don't have off the top of my head, like, the, 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 the pathways. But it was actually performance-enhancing. And so it's interesting that, you know, they may be testing for it in the sports teams because, okay, we don't want you doing an illegal thing. But they could also be testing because it, it's because of its performance-enhancing qualities. Wow, I've, I've never heard it called that before, which is incredible. My experience with THC is that sometimes when I'm in a rut, trying to write something at home, and I'm just or or do some work, and I'm just stuck. If I go smoke, it, there's a little bit of a paranoia that happens with me. That because of that, it, I just become more productive, because it's like, it's almost like I tell myself, like, dude, you're just being lazy. And then because I just said that to myself, then I do the things that I think that I'm being lazy about. Yeah. So in a sense, that's a performance enhancing <laughs> for me. Yeah, for you. <laughs> yeah, there, there are, like, there's a chemical reason that it was performance enhancing. And, and like I said, forgive me that I don't remember it off the top of my head. I think I was so surprised that he, he started with that that I was just, like, furiously taking yeah. notes. Um, but, it, yeah, it actually has athletic benefits. Um I don't remember if it was endurance or strength, but he gave some great examples. So if anybody's interested, check out the Plant Medicine that's podcast cool. episode with Dr. Alif. That that's amazing. That's awesome. I had never heard that before. That's uh, that's incredible. We had um, our I mean, I like to smoke before I go for a long run. Well, I, I, there was play, players in the NFL that said there was whole seasons they were high. It's not like they're running around like I forgot to play, like they got screwed up, you know. They like used they to have baseball players like smoke cigarettes and do. There's cocaine, a guy who like, threw you know, a no hitter <laughs> while he was on LSD. He threw a no hitter on he LSD. Wrote a book and he wrote a book and it turned into a movie about it. And he's like, "Yeah, I was like, I was so fearless up there." You have Babe Ruth who is drunk sometimes up at the plate, you know, alcohol sweating out of his pores. Mickey Mantle was the same thing too. Baseball, they were smoking cigarettes in the dugout for years. Right well, before there's a case. It's a stimulant. Like these are all things that sharpen your focus one way or another. Think about how many biohackers we know that still take nicotine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so weird. I, I think I find it so odd that they mix like nicotine with all these other like CBD and all these other wonderful things. Nicotine gives me a headache, so I'm just like I'm not going to mess with it. But I watched this documentary called um, Bigger, Stronger, Faster. It's by Chris Bell, and uh, my wife and I watched it together, and it talked about steroids. And it talked about all kinds of steroids in there. And I think Keith North was Keith Norris yeah. was on a, on a podcast we talked about, too. And my wife looks up to me and says, why does anyone care if athletes take drugs anyway to improve their performance? And she goes, I don't know any of these players. I don't care about any of this. I think baseball is boring. If you hit home runs all the time, yeah, I'm going to show up and pay attention. 
She goes, wrestling's pretty fun, and I watch that, and I know they're all taking something, but what does it care if they don't care about it? And I said, it, it doesn't really matter, uh, but except for the purists of, the, of that sport or whatever. Like, they have rules that you have to follow, which is kind of odd because in that same documentary, they talked about firefighters and even, like, uh, jet pilots who had to take, like, Adderall all the time to stay alert, to stay focused, like kind of what Baldo was saying, like, I'm climbing mountains, I got to stay alert. Um, violinists and, and orchestras taking beta blockers to lower their blood pressure and their heart rate and they're like they can take this and there's no testing for that but that's a performance enhancing drug so why is that not okay you know for this but that is okay I don't get it I don't it doesn't make sense to me steroids are pretty harmful we know that but um, yeah if a bunch of players are smoking weed before a game and they perform okay then I guess as a team owner it's like do you really get mad like, I, I don't know. I really don't yeah. know. I mean, because the other option would like, let everyone do whatever they want and see who could get better at uh, at supplementing. Well, <laughs> I mean, so we had, um, I don't, there's another Netflix documentary. It's called Unnatural Selection. And I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it talks about CRISPR. And uh, it's basically genetic slicing and, and all that. And th in a future, you will be able to have, like, a kit you buy online. I think it's right now, actually, you can do this. And then you can extract genes that you can implant into your body or someone else and create a superhuman. And the medical world is up in arms because they're like, who's going to regulate this? What are you unleashing as far as Pandora's box? And you have people that are out there like, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to encourage other people to do it, and let's see what happens. Because the truth is people always want to improve themselves. That's the whole reason we're even talking about psychedelics. right? It's not that people want to get high and go party more. It's like you have a bunch of well-spoken people, well-educated. They're saying, I need to perform better. I need some performance-enhancing supplementation. So they look for these places, and they do their research. I mean, I met several people even recently that are like, I've never tried psilocybin. I've never tried MDMA, but I've read all about it. And they're like, and I'm deciding I'm going to do it at this time. And it's incredible because no one's ever said, I've done a bunch of research on alcohol. I've done a bunch of research on cigarettes. And I feel like this is the right time right. I want to start drinking. Right, <laughs> right, right. That's just, well, it comes down to where the stigma is, right? There's no stigma. I mean, there's barely a stigma around alcohol. And if any, it's usually the pleasurable one. Like, hey, let's all go have this wine tasting. Like, it's generally a pleasurable thing. But there's been a stigma against psychedelics for a long time or cannabis or, or what have you. And so it's now taking more convincing to get people there. But um, to your point of like when people decide to do it, like if you're out there listening and you think this is for you, know that there is a difference and not that one is better than the other. However, there is a probably going to be some difference in outcome if you're doing it like like Baldo said earlier, like, oh, I did some MDMA and I went and just like jumped up and down at a concert kind of thing. Like you'll have one experience with that. But if you're doing like what MAPS is doing is MDMA assisted psychotherapy. And so you're doing MDMA in a room with a therapist. The therapist is there guiding you. You're in a safe container. Like Michael Pollan's book reminded everybody, set and setting are very important. Yep. And so set is the mindset you go in with. Setting is the place you're doing it. So if you go in, you're really scared about going to a concert. Maybe there's new people there. Or it's loud music. And it's a concert and it's crazy. You know, and then you do M MDMA. Like, are you going to have a profound therapeutic experience? I mean, maybe, but less likely than if you take care of your set and setting and do it like I mean I've done psilocybin many times more just like oh we're camping or oh we're just doing it for fun and then I finally did a, a guided psilocybin ceremony and the difference was you know orders of magnitude and I got so much more out of the yeah you'll see 
fun things and maybe have an insight or two in the in the more recreational but if you're looking to have true transformation consider doing it with a knowledgeable guide a facilitator somebody that can get help you get the most out of it and then make sure you do preparation and integration too. preparation to, like so you're going in with the best mindset you've got an intention if that's appropriate for you and then integration is after you have this mag magnificent transformative experience how do you integrate this back into your life how are you not just like god I just was shown the universe, and now I have to go like punch numbers at my job. Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you figure that? Kind of, and so those are those are all really important parts of the experience. That's that's incredible. I, I mean, if you've listened to this and you haven't been motivated to do more research <laughs> about it, I mean, R and D is always a wonderful thing because you learn more and then you make informed decisions. And I applaud the efforts that you're making in your own personal journey, but in the effort to help others. Who would have known? that you would have gotten out of medicine to help more people become healthier. Yeah. Like, you know, that's just incredible, right? But I've gone the same way too. I feel like I'm only in medicine now just because of my title, not because of the work that I'm doing, right? And so I feel like even people who listen to this podcast are gonna make a bigger difference than a lot of us will because the reach that extends out there. You can't hold back this information. And that's the thing. For every person that says they're a podcast junkie, you know they're informed. They're not just listening to sports talk all day. They're, I mean, they're listening to things that only certain people are talking about. And then when that message spreads, it opens up to the door to, you know, how decriminalization occurs, right? And John Hopkins opens the first medical research department for psychedelics. And where they're talking about this will be the next breakthrough in medicine. Medicine's trying to catch up, right? They've been trying to catch up to the marijuana movement and I'm so glad that it's still considered a plant and not a medication and as long as that continues to be the consumer is going to dictate what they do to their body and what they put in it and so this MAPS convention this past weekend was apparent right like you could feel the energy and the oh, excitement yeah. there right yeah. that's yeah. why I FOMO because I was like I want to be these yeah. are innovative creative minds some of the brightest minds in the world getting together and talking about psychoactives and they're saying this can help the world if we unleash it back into society in the correct way. Yeah. I mean, they're conscious about it. They're saying yeah. we're trying to be responsible. So I'm glad to hear those conversations are being made. But uh, I can't thank you enough. It's funny, just to our listeners, um, you heard Lynn Marie's voice. Uh, allergies in Central Texas got to her. And I was like, you know what? Can we do a podcast? She fought through it. It was great. We're very thankful because, uh, you know, I don't know how many times you're going to come to Austin. Are you coming That's back to true. Paleo? I'm coming to Paleo. Okay, so we got it, got yes. you again a couple months. But uh, it's always nice to visit with you, and I feel like we could always continue the conversation, and we Definitely. probably will, and we'll pick up another time. But um, how can our listeners find you? You can go to plantmedicine.org on the web, plantmedicine.org, and then you can go to plantmedicine.org on Instagram, and that's how you can find um, you know, the latest updates. But if you have a podcast app, then just go to the Plant Medicine Podcast with Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky. That's me. And, you know, if you go to plantmedicine.org, put your email in and we'll send you um, the five things to be careful with if you are if you are about to embark on a psychedelic journey so that we can help you make the most of it. That's awesome. That's, That's awesome. Great. Well, everyone, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. And we much. hope to uh, hear from you all soon. Yeah.